0: Thanks, Martin. Let's pray, shall we, as you look at that passage together. So, Heavenly Fathers, we've been reminded, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the Spirit, your Spirit, which you give to those who trust in Christ to give us new life. And we pray that by that same Spirit and in the name of the Son and through your Word this morning, you will speak to us and uh, breathe new life into our hearts now and always. Amen. Well, ask one of those Olympic athletes competing in Seoul at the moment how they got to be so good at, you know, lying on a tea train hurtling down that ice. And they're probably not going to say, oh, it just happened yesterday by chance. It just came to me in a moment. Or ask an ambitious student, dedicating themselves perhaps to a, a career in healthcare. Um, how is it you've managed to get through those exams and get to where you've got to? And again, they won't say, oh, I just kind of woke up one day and went in to the exam hall and it kind of came out of my mind from nowhere. Um, ask Kate. We just heard from or seen Kate um, expecting a baby any moment now. Um, whether, I, I don't know, I can't speak for uh, Kate and the family, but have you got your bag packed for the hospital and the mobile phone charged up for an emergency? and check you've got some petrol in the car to get you to the hospital on time. And I imagine they'll be all set, ready to go, won't they? Um, for our daughter's wedding last summer, you know, we, we had quite a few weeks and months of making sure we had the dresses all organized, the guest list sorted out, the menus chosen and prepared, uh, and the decorations all planned and so on. In life, it's true, isn't it? When there's something important to us, we're generally very good at being prepared for it. Putting the work in, the preparation, so that when the day comes, we're there and we are ready. And it's a strange thing, I find, that generally speaking, in life, most of us don't think so hard or make so many preparations for the day we meet with God. Or even for the day we begin to think about meeting God. We just kind of leave that somewhere on the side for another day, for a time that it seems more important. We've seen in recent weeks with Thessalonians that this is actually a great church, a vibrant church family. They're full of faith and love for each other and hope in the return of Jesus. Um, So, in many ways, they're doing this. They are prepared. They know Jesus, they're loving each other, and they're getting ready for the day they will meet him. We saw last time they've had some questions about the future. Um, what's the date of Christ's return, when will that be? And the writers of the letter answered that last time uh, by saying, don't don't worry if some of you die uh, as believers before Christ returns. No one will miss out when he comes. We'll all rise with him in glory. But as they uh, go go into chapter 5 now, and you look at verse 1, you can see there's still some questions around about times and dates, as the writers put it in verse 1. About times and dates we don't need to write to you. In other words, we, we told you about this when we were with you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So they've still got a question about what they call the day of the Lord. Which is the day of Christ's coming. And Paul's response is to say that it matters much more that we are prepared for it when it comes, than whether we have it in our diary. In fact, he's, they're simply reminding us here, really, that Jesus talked about his return, about the day of the Lord, when God will judge all evil and bring in his perfect kingdom of love and peace for his people. And Jesus said in the Gospels, about that day or hour, no one knows. He says not even the sun knows when that will be. So don't worry about putting in your diary, but do be ready for it. That's really the gist of this morning's passage altogether. And I've got three headings to help us to kind of work through the way that the writers take us here, both from the reminder that this is a real thing that we must be ready for, to some very practical things on how to be ready for it. So the first heading is this, don't doubt it. Don't doubt that the day of the Lord will come. And that's really verses 1 to 3. Don't doubt it. You know very well, verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That is, in other words, the day of the Lord is not going to be announced in advance. It will be unexpected. And one of our colleagues, one of the curates at our last church, um, once woke up in the night upstairs in his curate's house... Um, And he he said, I I heard a kind of noise downstairs, and I thought, it's probably nothing, it's probably just the wind, but it kept kind of banging. So So I, I went downstairs, and he said, I went into the living room, and I looked to my left of the patio doors, and there was this face staring at me with a great big crowbar. And someone was trying to force his way into his house in the middle of the night. And if he said to Greg, now Greg, did the guy send you a postcard to say he was coming? You know the answer, don't you? A thief doesn't drop you a card and say, I'll be around Tuesday night about 2 a.m. That's the whole point, isn't it? They don't tell you they're coming. It's a surprise. It's unexpected. And the writers are saying, as Jesus said, when Jesus comes, the day of the Lord will be a surprise. You can't put it in your diary. But watch out for it. It will be inevitable, verse 3, while people are saying peace and security, destruction will come on them, suddenly, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And again, talk to someone who's um, been through labor or been through someone going through labor, uh, and you'll know that they're not wondering, are they, if that baby's going to come. It might feel like it's taken a long time sometimes. They know the baby's going to come. It's just a question of when and being ready for it. Um, she's not thinking, is she, that, oh, when labour starts, I can just kind of go back to work for a few more weeks and just postpone it for a while till it's convenient. No, when it comes, it comes. It's unavoidable, inevitable when labour starts, when the day of the Lord comes. You can't avoid it. They will not escape. It's quite a bleak language, isn't it? For those that have lived without God, without thought of God, without seeking to please God, it will be destruction. Inevitable. Quite a warning, isn't it? Now, maybe the people in Thessalonica were were actually, the the people around the church, were mocking the Christians, saying, all this talk about your coming kingdom and your King Jesus, um, forget all that stuff. We've got our own emperor. We've got Caesar. And he's doing a kind of pretty good job. Don't worry about it. And it's certainly true, then and now, That the natural human disposition, when we think about the future and about invisible things, the existence of God, the return of Christ. Very natural just to be complacent, just to get on with the here and now. And to say, stop thinking, stop worrying about all that stuff. And just as, again, Jesus does in the Gospels, the writers here say, don't doubt it. The day of the Lord will come. You can't see it, you can't predict it, you can't diarize it, but it will come like a thief in the night, like labour pains on a pregnant woman. And it will be rejoicing and peace for those that have lived for Christ and lived to please God. It will be destruction and bad news for those who've lived without God. And Again, if, if you're not ready to meet God yet, And I have to just echo that warning there, don't I, in what the writers are saying in the scriptures here. To be ready for this day. Don't let it catch you like a thief that you hadn't at least prepared for. Don't let the labour pains start and you had no idea they were coming. That takes us to the second point, which is uh, for those that uh, have turned to Christ, that have faith in him, Not just don't doubt it, but don't fear it. Don't fear it. Don't fear the day of the Lord. Look at verse 4. There's a but there, isn't there? But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. Whenever you see that but in the Bible, it's almost always good news coming. Bad news, watch out. But... But, he says, good news, you, brothers and sisters, God's family, are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you like a thief. It won't be like an unexpected thief for you. You're all children of light and children of the day. See the, the, the image he's using here, that they're using, that the darkness... Um, on the one hand, contrasts with the light on the other. The, the children of, of the night time, the children that are asleep on one hand, and the children that are awake and alert on the other. And the darkness here is not really, uh, as we often think of it, you know, enlightenment, an intellectual darkness. It's not as if people don't know that there's, there's at least the idea of God and Jesus around. It's a moral darkness he's talking about here. People that live without God That our behavior doesn't reflect the desire to live for pleasing God. And then the children of light who are learning to live to please God. You, you, he says, are not in darkness. Again, he's very emphatic here. You are all children of the light. Children of the day. And being a child of something in the Bible, it's just a way of saying uh, you're deeply attached. Your relationship is a close one not with the darkness but with the light You are children of light and of day in other words you need not fear the day of the lord because it may come like a thief in the night unexpected to some but to you it will be good news the return of your savior god will meet you not with destruction but with love and welcome a few years ago, the church that we worked with um, undertook a building project, one of our buildings, and uh, the then Bishop of London was invited to come and open the building for us. So we had a, you know, a, big, a big service plan and so on. Now we could have said, no, okay, you know, that, that, July is a long way away. Let's not worry about it. He'll never turn up anyway. These bishops, you can't trust them. Um, let's just forget it. Don't worry about hoovering around. Don't worry about painting the walls. Don't worry about having the doors ready and hung and, uh, and, and the last bit of gloss varnished done just assume he's not coming we could couldn't we now, of course we didn't we thought no he probably will come we've invited him he's got it in his diary and we made meticulous preparations so on the day the service went well um, he preached very well for us and then he opened the building and it was a fantastic celebration and Paul is saying here you are prepared you know that that day is coming sometime. It's not in your diary, but it's coming. And you are children of the day, of the light. That's your world. You are Jesus people, kingdom people, children of light. And the technical term for this change that's happened in anyone who's a believer in Christ, it's called regeneration. And we thought about it just now with Nicodemus too, didn't we? That when someone turns to Christ, simply trusting him in faith to be saviour and king. A change of heart happens. The Holy Spirit comes within us and regenerates us, recreates us. We are born again. Children of light and no longer children of darkness. It's a, a change that can take place in anyone who receives Christ. Not because you've been a Christian, a church a long time, you're born in this country, but anyone who simply receives Christ, children of light. So don't fear meeting God one day, is what they're saying, isn't it? Don't fear that moment. Look forward to it. Look forward to the welcome of Christ into his kingdom, because you are children of light. But also, I guess, if you know someone in your family, your your friends, someone you work with, start praying for them today, if they're currently not a child of light, for an opportunity to point them to Jesus that they can be ready to. Don't fear it. Look forward to it. Thirdly, lastly, this is really where the the writers are going here, don't miss it. Verse 8 onwards. Whenever you read these words, um, so then, so then, in these letters in the New Testament, you know that a a kind of a gear change is going to happen here. We're moving from the, here's the good news, and we've seen the good news, haven't we? Children of light. Here's the good news to... So then, this is how you should live. This is how you live out the good news in your life today. So then, the writers say, verse 6, Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let's be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. See the contrast working out here? You've got these two sides, haven't you? Those who are in night and those in day. Those who are drunk, those who are alert, those who are asleep, those who are awake. Really clear triple contrast. And the writers here, when they talk about being drunk and asleep, they're not really warning Thessalonians about the kind of medical impact of excessive sleep or of alcohol even. Again, it's a picture here. Sleep and drunkenness are a way of talking about lives that are being lived without reference to God, that are just asleep to God. Sleepwalker, you might call it. And those who are awake, who are living for God, aware of him, alert to Christ's return. People whose lives are in darkness are people like so many around us, perhaps some of us here, who give really no thought to God from one day to the next because our lives are, are just saturated with it. They're, they're drowsy with thoughts about today's empty possessions or today's career plans or pleasures or achievements. We're in a world, aren't we, today, just as they were then, full of drowsy hearts and sleepy heads. So verse 8 says, therefore, here's the the so what. Let's be sober, or let's be alert, you could translate that. Let's be alert, be vigilant, be ready, because that day is coming. The last time the family and I caught a flight abroad, we had to leave home very early in the morning. And uh, in order not to miss the flight, we kind of took every trick we, we could think of to make sure we woke up on time we got out that door in time and got to the plane in time before it flew off. Because if you miss the flight, uh, this is true, isn't it? If you miss the flight, it has gone. You can't kind of catch it up on the way, can you? So, you know, we, we, we set the alarms early. We had lots of caffeine already to, to kind of get us awake and out the door. And we made sure that we got that flight. And the writers are saying here, uh, in the same way, be alert for Christ's return. You know, set the metaphorical alarm in your life. So that you are ready when that day comes. You don't fall asleep between now and then. And verse 8 tells us really how to do that. Very practical. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's these three again. Did you see that? We've seen this before. Faith and love and hope. The big three themes of this whole letter. Faith in Jesus. Love for his people. Hope in Christ's return. Keep those things Uh, on the front burner. Keep feeding those three things and you'll be ready for Christ's return. Now that verb here translated putting on, this picture of putting on kind of soldier's kit, ready to go on sentry duty, Um, it's a past tense. It's almost like saying that the way to be vigilant, the way to be alert as a Christian, it's not to start doing something new, but it's to keep on doing what you first did when you first believed you put on faith if, if any, any of us here are a christian this morning we put on faith the moment we first trusted in christ and the writers are saying keep on doing that as you put on faith then just keep putting it on and the same with love for god's people and hope in christ's return keep feeding those three things that give you spiritual strength So, in terms of faith, if your heart is tempted um, by other things, by money, by career, by a relationship you know isn't helpful, if if your loyalty has been drawn away from Christ, be ever so aware of that temptation. And keep turning back all the time to Jesus, to Jesus. Faith in him, trusting him. If your love for God's people can be weak sometimes, if you just feel you're too busy to do something practical for someone in the church who's in need one week, then again, just be wary of that. Remember um, that love for God's people is one of the ways that we keep on growing to be ready for that day. Love each other more and more, says this letter. Look for ways to show kindness or forgiveness or generosity to God's people this coming week. And just think about hope in the future. If you're tempted to lose that eternal perspective, to get sucked into entirely the here and now, um, then maybe talk some at the end about that. Say, could you pray for me that I'll keep my eyes fixed on Christ's return this week? Maybe meet up with someone one to one and look at this passage again, or take this passage home tonight and read it, because this is one of the most important. Texts in the New Testament, I believe, both for the doctrine of what we believe, and how to keep that doctrine relevant today, by having strong faith, growing love for each other, and hope set on Christ's return. There are two last incentives that the writers give us in verses nine and ten to keep on doing this. This letter is full of this encouraging thing, hasn't it? Here they do it to us again. Two more incentives. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. God's appointed us to receive salvation. That's again talking about the future there, when Christ returns. God's appointed us. What he's saying, what they're saying, it's not about whether I'm a good enough Christian, whether I receive salvation on that day. Whether I gain that eternal life when Christ returns. Because it's a gift, and it's one that he's appointed me for the moment I believed. I've I've been appointed for salvation. It's great, isn't it? That means it's not all about me. And whether I can do this in my own strength, it's that he has appointed us for salvation. And Then he goes on. He died, verse 10, he died for us so that, whether awake or asleep, we may live together with him, with Christ. He's appointed us, he's also atoned for us. He died for our sins. This is the clearest reference, really, to the cross of Jesus in this whole letter. He died for our sins so that, whether awake or asleep, he means there, Christians who've died in the past, who are asleep, metaphorically. Or awake, those of us still here waiting for Christ's return. Whether awake or asleep, he died for us so that, when he returns, we may all rise and be united with Christ. United in his resurrection. So, two more encouragements for us. He's appointed us for this. It doesn't rest on our strength. He's atoned for our sins so that whoever we are will one day be united with him in his resurrection too. Therefore, wrapping up, encourage each other, verse 11. Encourage each other and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Encouraging, get us another key word in this letter. It doesn't mean here, or ever, simply give each other a smile or even a hug. It can be that. But generally here in the letter, encourage each other, he said earlier, with these words. Keep teaching each other these truths. That faith in Christ is what saves. That loving each other is what we're called to do. That waiting for his return is our hope. Keep encouraging each other just as you're doing. Building up God's family. Again, building up here. Uh, it, it's, I guess it could be almost like, like a kind of going to the gym and muscle building thing. But it's really the idea of building up, putting bricks on bricks to make a building. And that's the picture of God's family. We build each other up as we teach each other, as we point each other to Jesus. So when I was a student, I was invited to go on a summer holiday camp for teenagers and another older leader um, took me under his wing a bit and and taught me the the gospel and taught me how to begin to teach the gospel to other people. Um, And I went home and a few weeks later I was surprised to get a postcard from him saying, you know, great to have you there still praying for you. Then another postcard a few weeks later, wondering if I was reading the Bible, and how my prayer life was going. Then another postcard saying, um, hope your year is going well, praying for you, are you coming again next summer? And Phil had a deep impact on me, simply through writing me postcards, saying he was praying for me, and was I still reading the Bible? It can be such a simple thing to encourage each other and build each other up, can't it? It could be a word over coffee afterwards. What did you think about that verse 9? Wasn't that amazing? It could be meeting someone this week in a one-to-one and just read a bit of the Bible together. Look at this passage again in your small group. It could be write a postcard to someone or even just an email. It takes really very little for us to grow our faith and love and hope together. What could this church be like if we really began to do this kind of thing more and more as part of our lifeblood, our culture as a church, a family that encourages each other and builds each other up? Let's not be like others, as they say here, who are asleep in the night, but let's be a church family who are awake, who are alert, who are clothed more and more, ready for Jesus, full of faith and love, and hope. Let's pray together. Pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that you will help each of us to hear the the warnings in this teaching from your scriptures of the thief coming the night, of the labour pains coming on a pregnant woman. Help us to read and understand and take to heart. Help us to be ready for that day through faith in Christ. Help us to find him if we're still seeking. Help us to put on faith and love and hope as our clothing, dressed and ready. And help us to be a family in which we help each other to see Jesus, to know him and to grow, to become more like him as we fix our eyes on the day when we see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.